Hello again, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Geek Down Podcast. This is the show where two nerds sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson. And my name is Caitlin McKinnon. Caitlin, back, y'all! I am very excited to be back. I missed it immensely. We missed you. I mean, didn't miss it more than, you know, Disney <laughs> not, World. Not enough but... to not go to Disney World. No, but... no. Um, and uh, and thank you to Kayim Dar for filling in for me. I really appreciate it. Um, it was a great episode. And yes, I was yelling at the microphone or into the... It, as I was walking down the street, I was... Oh, about those things we couldn't remember what yeah. they were called? What are they called? Yeah. Um, hold on. I now can't remember. No. Even though <laughs> yeah, I was yelling talk. it. All talk. I was yelling it. I was. You were thinking of stalks, but actually that's not the name for them. It's not... No, barracks is where they sleep, right? But I feel like it's a... It's a kind of like an axe sound to it. No, no, no. It's... it's you are thinking of the stocks. Everyone calls them the stocks. Like, mm-hmm. put him in the stocks. But it's actually not. The stocks are actually something different. Stocks are things that just... Oh, now you're giving me that look. What? Uh, stocks <laughs> I'm looking because I'm interested. Stocks are those things where they actually just put your wrists or your ankles okay. in them. And people used to die of exposure all the time because they'd be left out there for days on end. The thing you're thinking of is a pillory. That's a pillory? It's called a pillory. And it has... it it. It makes you put your wrists and your neck in it. And people used to throw rotten fruit and sometimes stones and stuff or rotten fruit with stones in it. Just like when kids, when you're having a snowball fight and those boys would be like, I'm going to put like a rock in this snowball. Um, Well, I'll be damned. It's a pillory. So it is. There we go. My brain just clicked. Now that we got that out of the way. Five minutes of chit chat time. Hey Kate, I'm just gonna go. Uh, I'm just gonna go make myself a sandwich, and you can tell the people how Disney World was. Disney World was amazing. Um, I also went to Universal Studios. And you did make it to Springfield. I saw the photo. Yes. I don't know how much time you spent there, but you made sure to uh, we snap actually, a photo of the Androids Dungeon for me. Yes, and uh, I actually snapped a photo of. Uh, oh, what's his name? Hot start already. Welcome oh, God. back. <laughs> you know, it's really warm in here and <laughs> I'm having trouble. I don't have enough tea. I drank all my tea. Uh, Wild and Willy, which is a game. And I actually snapped the photo for you and for my dad because I thought I'd get a kick out of that. It was Groundskeeper Willy. Yeah, but it the ride is called Wild and Willy. Oh, that's with the his, ride. I didn't or, know what sorry, it was. Sorry, it's not a ride. It's a game. And he has a shirt like. Yes, he's torn yeah, his shirt open. Torn his shirt open, which is was one of my, always my favorite parts of The Simpsons <laughs> when he just had reason to just tear his shirt off or not. Grease me up, woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Disney World was great for any adult thinking they might want to go. It's very much for children, but anyone who is young at heart and who's never been, like myself, had a total blast. The scale of things I couldn't get over. Like how much work things were, how mm-hmm. big things were, how um, well done things were. That was that was amazing. I didn't understand the how, how much they use animatronics at Disney World. Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> and it's slightly terrifying at times. Um, but also... <laughs> Spent your vacation in the Uncanny Valley, did you? <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, like there was... Uh, during the evening, we saw a show that was just animatronic bears. Um, D- doing what? Uh, country singing. I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> country singing. Um, it was a country <laughs> show with animatronic bears. <laughs> This isn't just something you wandered by. You made a point to... Well, no, no, no. We wandered by it, but we went, hey, let's go into that thing. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like fun. And it was fun. So a lot of it's fun. Some of it is also slightly racist. (laughs) Still? Well, 
I think what it was is it used to be very racist. <laughs> and then they tried to sort of like take the edge off of it. Baby steps. We're down to folksy racism now. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is still like just, I mean, even in the small world ride, which is, I under. I guess I understand why it still exists. It's one of those things that people go to specifically, but it's also really boring and also racist. (laughs) Um, Like they still have dolls that have like the slanted, just the slanted uh, lines for eyes. That's gross. Um, And like like with this silly Asian sort of like rice rice hats, um, doing like it, it just was like, what year is this? So there was stuff like that. and then there was Universal Studios, which was a whole, if people don't know, both Disney and Universal Studios, basically they have several parks. Universal Studios has one, uh, two, sorry, has uh, uh, Universal Studios, which has, it looks like a studio lot. And then they have Islands of Adventure. Okay. Um, and basically. That's the part people care about. Well, no. What they've done, it's very smart. They've put uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter into both of the parks. Oh. So if you want to see the full Wizarding World, you need You're to buy... Two admissions. Well, not two admissions. You get something called um, a park-to-park pass, and it lets you take the Hogwarts Express, either from King's Cross Station in London, um, from Universal Studios, to uh, Hogsmeade Station in, you know somewhere in England uh, or Scotland, basically Islands of Adventure. And you can do it the other way as well. You can go from Hogsmeade to back to uh, London and then to Diagon Alley. That was basically the best part of Universal Studios. It was amazing. I, I still can't get over, again, the scale of Diagon Alley. Like, I thought maybe it might be, you know, a, a long street, but it, it was so much more than that. And I had such a good time and it made me want to reread Harry Potter and rewatch the movies and like the rides were amazing. Like I just had such a good time. So anyone who is even remotely interested in Harry Potter or having fun and are young at heart, you should definitely put some money aside to go to Orlando, Florida. That is my analysis of the situation. Well, I'm... Very happy. It was. It did not disappoint. It did not. Also, just as an FYI, do not go on the ET ride. It is a carousel of horrors. <laughs> it is. It is not aged well, and it is. It is a terrifying ride. It was not good. I also hurt my foot on it. But anyways, <laughs> that was beside the point. Um, and you should ha- try and go somewhere where it's the low season. Apparently, April when we went is. It, there's no one there. Yeah, which is bizarre because i couldn't imagine going when there are lots of people there in the middle of summer i i just i don't i couldn't do it like it was 30 degrees every day (laughs) i had to wear flip-flops at like one in the morning i was so excited and yeah we had a great time and the weather was wonderful and you know i was disney world (laughs) uh did you meet mrs potts i did not I try. I looked out for her. There are lots of people I did see. Merida. Cinderella. You saw, saw Merida. Yeah, that was who you were actually most excited to meet yes. was Merida. Yeah, Merida. But I, there was no Mrs. Potts and there was no Chip. I don't know if I just, if I have to go to Belle's castle to, mm. meet, to meet her. Um, but yeah, that was a little bit sad. But I did get to go on the teacup ride. 
And did you get your wand? I so got my wand. <laughs> and I rocked it. And there were like small children waiting in line. And I'd be like, no! <laughs> it's my turn to do magic. <laughs> so. Waited almost 30 years to do this, children! <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we'd go around and like tell like because there'd be kids who was with parents who had like no idea what was going on and we would like teach the kids how to do the magic and that was one of my favorite parts that's adorable yeah it was it was a lot of fun well awesome yeah back to the grind (sighs) back to the grind news news first up if we've established that madoka magica is the spirit animal of this show i would say a close second is probably steven universe it's probably the thing that you and i both you, with pre-existing knowledge, me having learned after we started this show, both kind of love to an unhealthy degree. I don't I don't think it's unhealthy. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love it. I think but... our level of love for Steven Universe. Yeah, and I guess I will say, so the news is the trailer, or the 30-second promo for uh, what I'm assuming will be, I don't know how many episodes it'll be. They're calling a four-week event called Steven Universe In Too Deep, which will start on May 12th and will be new episodes of Steven Universe. Because they normally, it's my understanding, they don't do like a regular season. It'll just be like a Fast and Furious, like, bam, here's like a month worth of episodes. And then they disappear again for like, uh, well, see, six I, months. I don't know because I watched it all sort of after it had been out for a while. Mm. Um, I was not one of those people who was on board um, from the beginning. So I don't know. When I would look up details about specific episodes, they would mention it was part of this thing, whatever they were calling it. This is, we always have this conversation about this. I like things and I just, I like them the way I like them. You go in like to get details on things. Well, apparently that's a viewpoint that doesn't make me dateable, but that's a discussion for another time. (laughs) Um, But this is, I feel like this, I I think I'm broken in some way where I don't have (laughs) things that I know all about. I just know sort of general things and what I generally like. But go on, sorry. I just I thought that was an interesting point, is that you had all these details, and I was like, I don't know, it comes out when it comes out, and I'll like it when I watch it. <laughs> this will continue the story. Yellow Diamond uh, wants the Earth to die, as she says in her lovely, spine-tingling, Patty Lapone voice. Um, and then just it's chaos from there. And there were so many gasps from me. Yes, many gasps from Caitlin when... Uh, when Malachite emerged from the depths of the ocean where we last left her, uh, expressing with glee her desire to destroy the gems. Caitlin got uh, Caitlin got pretty amped up. So yeah, it's, hopefully this will be... They haven't really let us down yet. I've heard, like I said, I've heard from people who have complained that Steven Universe doesn't spin its wheels enough anymore, that it's like too invested in the larger story. And to me, I'm I... like, okay, you can miss me with that because I am here for the larger story. And I don't mind that. I don't know. I think they've always done a really good job of balancing and there's so much, and what makes the larger store, story so, why, why we get so invested is because they did spend a long time letting us learn about these characters. Mm-hmm. If they had sort of, if it had been a monster of the week and they sort of made all the big stuff happen right away, then we wouldn't have cared about what happens to the gems and Steven and, you know, um, we, I feel like the reason we care so much is because we were given time to get to know these characters yeah it's definitely a the series as a whole is a slow build-up towards the batshit crazy action that happens in the second half of the or pretty much all the second season and i don't mind the fact that we don't you know take a deep breath 
or we take a breath every once in a while. I, I like sort of this action because it makes the stakes higher and higher and higher. Yeah. And you're getting to a to a climax. And that's I think that's great storytelling. Um, and then I but what they do is they show how the gems um, deal with this. And because we're we get to know their characters, we get to see them be put in interesting situations. See, this is, and I tell people about this all the time, you can't discount cartoons for having great storytelling. Who are you talking to here? I watch more, you and I both watch more cartoons than anyone we know. Well, that's what I mean. A lot of people will sort of discount them. I mean, I know lots of adults that are like, oh, it's a, it's a cartoon. And I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You don't understand. It's like, when I talk to people about Young Justice, they're like, oh, it's a cartoon. And I get really (laughs) upset. I'm like, yes. And what of it? Well, I mean, like I told you, and this is hopefully a thing we can, once more episodes get banked, um, we can hold a similar uh, Supergirl-type special about it. But yeah, that Cabinaria of the Iron Fortress anime that started this year, the pilot was like the best action movie I've seen in years. This is the uh, steampunk feudal Japan zombie apocalypse Oh, you didn't tell me the name of it. You just gave me all those (laughs) details. I was like, if I said these things to you, what would you say? And Caitlin was like, "Uh, I'm pretty sure I'd say that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yes, Cabinary of the Iron Fortress is what it's called. Um, it's been delayed a few episodes because of the uh, earthquake in Japan, which is fine. Stop complaining, nerds. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let's make sure people are safe before we complain about where your precious anime is. What? People are actually doing that? Anime fans are jerks. Uh, wow. I say, th- I say that as one. So. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Okay. Stop, stop being jerks. Yeah, cartoons. Uh, cartoons are fucking great. We love cartoons. We wouldn't be doing this show if we didn't love cartoons. Probably not. But yeah, I'm not as, you know, you say, oh, I always dive in deep. Listen, I'm not about to like spend an hour watching YouTube videos of people analyzing every frame of this trailer. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, Steven Universe is coming back. That's dope. Yeah. Because it works out well. It's like I just finished the series. For a lot of y'all, you've probably been waiting like a year for a new Steven Universe. I've been waiting like a month. So. Yeah good to be me i have a tendency when i have to wait that long for something to drift away from it (laughs) you forget it Uh, exists (laughs) this is the exactly what's happened with doctor who i'm like a good season behind oh yeah just i i don't know i because they do it i mean it's one great thing about british television is that they sort of make you wait and they put a lot of time and effort Mm -hmm. into things and sometimes i have a tendency (laughs) to forget that it exists and then go oh hey there's a thing happening. I should probably watch those those episodes I haven't watched. So uh, I've got to get on that because I've got to I've got to give people Doctor Who news. I'm following. Yeah, on. you're you are you're the go to for that because they ain't gonna get it from me. Yeah. So you know what? Next next week, ladies and gentlemen, I will have Doctor Who news. A promise a pledge. Yeah. From your fave, Caitlin McKinnon. Yeah. I to bring you that Doctor Who heat for you. Yeah. What else we got? Um, so it doesn't, it's not a huge deal, but Inhumans has been pulled from release, from the release schedule for all the Marvel films coming right. out. The, the haters were chomping at the bit. They were <sighs> like, oh, the first crack in the armor of the of the Marvel behemoth. Well, okay. There are a couple things here. A, it's not a huge deal. Like they've, no, it's, they've it's really given not. us a schedule all the way into what uh 2020 so i think after i'm dead yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not a huge deal they'd already pushed it back once so it went from 2018 to 2019 and now it's at we'll see they are doing something which is i think smart which is you know they're not cannibalizing their revenue disney has 
Indiana Jones coming out the mm-hmm. same time as Inhumans was supposed to. So they've decided to just push it back, which might be a good thing. It'll give people a breather. And they decided to like things have come up since that they weren't originally planning for, right? Like they're going to do a second Ant-Man movie. Uh, they want to push that in front of it. Type Spider-Man. Of thing. Right. They, right. That's the big thing. They have, <laughs> a, they have a stake in Spider-Man yeah. now. So, um, However, I do need to talk about this because I just need to warn Marvel Uh-oh. that if you push back Captain Marvel, <laughs> I swear to fucking God, you know, before I we will went on, come after you. You know, before we went on mic, Caitlin was saying that she, she, I was like, is that really that big of a story? Do we have anything to talk about there? And she's like, oh no, I need to go on a rant. I didn't think what the rant could be about until just this moment before she said it. I was like, oh fuck, of course it's about Captain Marvel. Um, Captain Marvel has already been pushed back because of Spider-Man, which we do not need another one of. I will, I will decimate whoever steps up to that we do not need another spider-man unless it was spider gwen or miles morales but anyways that's a whole other issue and they've pushed back captain marvel to march 8th of 2019 Ooh. 2019 three years from now three years i have to wait i swear to god do not do not push it back anymore, or I will come after every single one of you. And that's all. You guys, I'm so scared right now. <laughs> you didn't see your face. <laughs> I, I, Captain Marvel is my superhero. Some people are like, oh, you know, Spider-Man's my big one, or Captain America, or, you know, okay, all of that. Great. That's, that's wonderful. Um, there are so few female superheroes that get the time in the limelight um, that when I, I, I actually cried when they announced Captain Marvel. I know I'm, I'm an idiot, but I, I bawled my eyes out. I mean, it's not a dog with a wheelchair for legs, but it's it's close. (laughs) It's not, but it's really close. Um, The fact that a studio has taken the time to go, Hey, we're going to have a female led superhero movie i mean it's sad that it wasn't black widow because i think that could have been great as well um yeah why was it <laughs> i i don't know i i can't I didn't I have, even think of that till right now. i have but. no answers for you like why do we why did we need an ant-man before black widow i understand that lee had a lot to say about that <laughs> um and that's re- the reason why they initially made it but also like why do we need to have an ant-man and Wasp. wasp why can't it just be a wasp movie like i there's so many things about that but the fact that it was captain marvel and she's my superhero it, it's it's huge that they were making this movie and the fact that they pushed it back upset me and the fact that they are okay with just having things sort of off the table for now i am terrified that the first thing that's going to be cut mm. is captain marvel at least i'll get a black panther movie like they're not looking to push that around so no much. there's already stakes there right they've got him cast he's in civil war yeah um but you know that it, it just worries me it happens so often that you know i'm not i don't think i'm being overly sensitive about it um i will say we should maybe have a segment where we talk about things that we have uh, consumed that we have no intention of giving the other one or we know the other one likes and there's no point in discussing it um i was on break at major canadian retailer reading flipping through the uh last pre-secret wars trade of ms marvel which yeah. is when they finally had the captain marvel team up oh i love 
Um, that's the other. That's the other thing. Because and that was it. Was it was all just so sweet and super dope, and the world was falling apart around them, and and they finally got to have their bonding moment, team up. And and th- one of the reasons I love Captain Marvel, why she is one of my superheroes, is because she she forged the way for Miss Marvel, who is another one of my favorite superheroes. And I am the type of person like Miss Marvel was kind of made for me in a in a certain weird way i'm as a young muslim girl (laughs) well no but as someone who wants to see more representation in the things i love i'm so kyle last week went on about why does it always have to be a a white guy i feel the exact same way why does it always have to be a white guy or a white woman i want to see like i would love to see the black captain marvel like she was awesome she was awesome and there's so many people. Why can't we have the black Captain America? Like, she was also awesome. Um, I feel we're going there. And that's why... I feel post-Infinity War, you're going to end up with the Falcon as Captain, Mar- as, uh, Captain America. But that would be fantastic. And and I do want to see that. I'm, I'm, you know, there's so many people and stories in the world that the fact that it's always a white person from America is tiring and frustrating and i want to see better representation i demand it demand it well something you are getting that's fairly uh diverse i only bring this to you because it was it was newly discovered uh the last time we were together caitlin loves westerns oh i do i adore westerns and i think i forgot this was even a thing or didn't even know it was close to having a trailer released uh antoine fuqua's remake of the magnificent seven starring Denzel, who I think he's contractually obligated to work with for every movie. <laughs> I just think he, Antoine Fuqua really likes working with Denzel. Uh, Chris Pratt is in this. Who the hell else is in this movie? Uh, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. That was the other one. Those are your big three. Chris Pratt, Denzel, and Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, who's also Antoine Fuqua's second, fa- <laughs> second favorite uh, actor. This is a remake of shit. Who did it originally? Um, I can tell you. It's John, well, John Sturges. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, who you could say really did it first was kurosawa kurosawa yes magnificent uh, seven was a as they are wont to do this has been a long-standing tradition uh the magnificent seven was a western adaptation of kurosawa's seven samurai which starred as ma- many kurosawa movies did my perennial man crush toshio mafune and there are, so we'll actually get into this a little <laughs> <laughs> you got that look on your face that like you want to be happy about it but there's shit in there that you just can't be i love westerns and i love old style westerns and i love new style westerns tombstone one of my favorite movies it's a cheesy like literally i would love someone to edit out all the romance of tombstone and it would be one of my like it would be basically my favorite movie of all time didn't need the cheesy romance but i loved as val kilmer as doc as doc holiday i'll be your huckleberry okay um anyways Best role for Val Kilmer. Love, <laughs> loved him in that. And there is something that happened sort of in the 90s and moving toward the towards the present, which is there is much more, it's much more shoot 'em up, you know, type thing. They didn't have as much. Uh, the big thing with westerns is the tension built, right? Mm. Um, they they always had shoot 'em ups, but there was much more tension to it. So John Sturges who was the original director of Magnificent Seven in the 1960s. He also did Gunfight at the OK Corral, which is another one of my favorite movies, and The Great Escape, two very big movies that people have probably heard of before. 
And again, it was all about this tension that you can build um, with these types of movies. There's always stakes, right? With shoot 'em ups of this style, though they are so much fun to watch, I just feel like it loses something. Um, it's like when they remade uh, 310 to Yuma. The original 310 to Yuma, it was just from the beginning of the movie to the end, there was just, it was palpable, right? You could cut the tension with a knife. In these, you don't feel like there are any stakes, right? You see guys with big guns and Tommy gun cannon thing, which is fun, but it loses what Westerns are about. Mm -hmm. Um, On that note, though, of fun... I really like Chris Pratt and I really like Denzel Washington and I really like Ethan Hawke and it looks like a fun movie. Did you have to call it Magnificent Seven? Hmm. Also, did you have to have a Native American man who was dressed ridiculously with a flaming arrow? Couldn't he just have been in the regular gear that he probably would have worn at that time? There's just so much about it. The original one, it was about they had to get this group of people together because a Mexican village was being harassed and no one would help them because they were Mexican. There was stuff about race there, about the way we sort of ignore issues and what it means to do the right thing. There's just so... The, the movie had so many layers. And this is just... They they have a much more diverse cast, which is great, but... So it's like, they killed my husband. Help me. Sure thing, white lady. Exactly, right? Why couldn't she be have been one of the Magnificent Seven? You know, just... There are <laughs> whoa, things... Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. Caitlin, you've been crazy Bridge now. too far. Um, so there are so many feelings I have about this trailer. Um, basically, it comes down to I'm divided between respecting... I don't mind remakes if you sort of respect and do something different with the original. But I also like fun. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll actually be talking about this later when we get to the second segment of the show. Oh. But yeah, it's sort of this divide that I'm always fighting with. So we'll see. I'm not... Uh, are, are you... Are you? <laughs> I'll let you say it. Cautiously optimistic? I am not. No! I am... I am a realist in this and that there there's it's probably going to be fun and it's probably there are things that are going to bug me throughout the entire film. The other thing is, like, why did they have to call it the Magnificent Seven? It's not telling the same story. Why couldn't they just why couldn't they have been like the cool shoot 'em up? Seven. I don't know. I'm not very good at titles. Six Shooter Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? I don't know. Um, why couldn't they have? Why couldn't it have been a new story? They changed so many elements of the old one. I don't understand. Someone tell me. Get up on our Facebook group and tell me why they had to call it the Magnificent Seven. Well, I mean, I think I. I mean, I'm as a white man, and everybody listens to me. Um, <laughs> It's uh, Antoine Fuqua is a uh, you know Training Day is one of my favorite movies. The guy's an able hand. He's very competent. He's a good director. I don't think I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about here. Is it going to be like? Is it going to change the world? I don't really think so. Is it even going to be a great western? I don't really think so. Is it going to be fun in the way that like when we were younger, Young Guns was fun? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I mean. Like there's such a pull. I just I don't understand the point of remakes that don't keep any of the essence of the older films it's a group of people who got together to shoot at things you could call that movie anything um you call it 
the Avengers Old West. Like, it just, <laughs> you know, I, I just don't understand. Marvel, you're welcome. <laughs> you're on the board. Uh, Yeah, on the board again. On the board. We're going to need a new board. Yeah. So, because you're back. Yeah. And you've been gone for a while. Uh-huh. It's actually been like three weeks since I've seen Caitlin because we, we banked one. And then we recorded with Kayam, and now she's finally back. I really wanted to get you something special for your return to the show. Uh-huh. So um, I got you a surprise. Let's close your eyes. Okay. Hold out your hand. Oh, no. I'm, I'm put, actually doing this, folks. I'm, I'm put it in your hand. Yeah. Open your eyes. Yeah. It's fuckery. <laughs> oh, shucks. Caitlin, I got you fuckery. Great. So much. I'm so excited. Probably the most fuckery we've seen since we started the show. Right. So, earlier this week, and shouts to, uh, to uh, do we want to say, uh, it's got to be a tie between, like, three-way tie between, four-way tie between her, Kai, Gavin, and Ren, but uh, super fan of the show, Joycey Vogues, for tipping me off to, uh, to this story, otherwise I might have missed it, <laughs> because it starts in the scintillating field of corporate human relations. Shelley Bond, uh, longtime editor executive editor and vice president uh, at Vertigo Comics, which is the beloved DC imprint that over the years featured Preacher, Sandman, Fables, Why the Last Man, basically at least three of your favorite comics came out on Vertigo over the years. Shelley Bond has just sort of been redundantized. They have they restructured. restructured. And decided that Shelley Bond's position was no longer needed and instead of finding something else for her to do or a new title or anything, they just said, peace. Yes. So that's problem one, because what does that mean for Vertigo? What does that mean for... Vertigo was already down the leg when Karen Berger left. Karen Berger was basically the founder of the entire imprint. She was the one in like the late 80s, early 90s who had found Neil Gaiman, who had found all these people and brought them Grant Morrison put them on these books like Doom Patrol and Sandman, which basically birthed the entire vertical line. And when she left a couple years ago on the heels of the whole new 52 thing, which was also on top of everything else, taking Swamp Thing and John Constantine away from Vertigo, they had kind of been Vertigo characters and now they were being brought into the DCU proper. When she kind of made her exit, what did that really mean? And Shelley Bond was kind of the last woman standing of the old guard of Vertigo. So now she's gone, and Vertigo is just going to live under the Dan Didio, Jim Lee tag team of everything else. The tag team of let's ruin everything. (laughs) The the tag team champions of questionable decisions. So that's issue one, is what does that really mean for the future of Vertigo? I think we should talk about this issue before we move on to issue two. For for the larger fuckery? Okay. So besides the fact that she was only given the helm for it's like less than three years. Yes. Besides all that, um, now they don't have anyone. Yeah, there's no... There, there's They haven't made a new title. They haven't put a new... What would you call it? Even There's no man- editorial infrastructure on the vertical line right now, really. No, which is just... I, I can't even imagine. Those, those poor creators and artists and writers... Like, who are they supposed to go to answer questions? Didio? <laughs> who goes to him? Nobody. Nobody in their right mind. <laughs> I just can't understand, like, someone give me a reason. 
So yeah, what does this really mean for Vertigo? Who knows? Well, how was Vertigo doing in the first place? I didn't really know. I mean, obviously I knew the history of Vertigo. I just looked to see what's coming out on Vertigo recently. And for the month of June, there are 10 books. And this is really interesting because... Lucifer is which? is probably Lucifer and Astro City, which are probably the two most notable on their entire roster. Well, well there is, there's... <sighs> been some talk about that as well you know hey people have said in the last little while vertigo doesn't seem to be putting out as much or as as much that's notable and there has been a discussion of actually there was i i think one of the reasons she was let go is because she had been fighting um for i don't know if it was more artistic freedom or to be able to put out different things or more things but there definitely has been this back and forth between DC and Vertigo about what they're putting out. And I think it was one, what do they say when directors leave? There was an artistic disagreement or something of that, that kind. Oh, artistic differences. Yeah. I think, I think that's what it was. I think very well be a money thing. It could just be like, she wanted more money to put out more books to pay more creators. And in the grand scheme of things, when they're trying to like, as we discussed last week, about to relaunch their entire line again, it probably didn't leave a whole lot of well, coin for artsy flights of fancy, which is basically what Vertigo is, to its credit. But there's also the other issues of they're about to... She got Neil Gaiman back on board to do more Sandman. Yep. And Sandman Overture was like easily one of the best comics I read last year. It yeah. was fantastic. And then there's the whole thing with... She was one of the voices behind the new um, Gerard Way Young Animal imprint. Do you know anything about that? Vaguely. Uh, Gerard Way, former singer and longtime comic fan. He was uh, the front man of My Chemical Romance. Longtime comic fan used his success and name recognition as a musician to... Uh, kind of get his foot in doing comics and ah oh shit what were what was the he had a dark horse book that really kind of i, I can't even <laughs> keep track derp, derp, derp. who cares it's not relevant but he did some work for dark horse comics which proved his metal i think to the people who mattered to like editors and things that he could actually go he wasn't just a a fan who thought he could he actually could write a decent story umbrella academy that's what it was ah uh, yes and so she was a big part of that and what's going to happen with that now and I just, there's so many questions so much is up in the air and who just sort of gets rid of the head of an imprint like that I just so much I don't who understand. has been there forever and is pretty much universally beloved by anyone who yeah. ever worked with her which leads us to the second part of the fuckery <laughs> which is that Bond's dismissal has proven to be the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people who can't understand why someone as beloved as Shelley Bond gets dismissed when someone as universally reviled as a editor in the Superman office continues to get kept on. Wait, are we not going to say... Such to the point uh... that people were so fed up, they started naming names. And this universally known serial harasser in the Superman office has been outed as Eddie Berganza. Surprise! Hooray! <laughs> Poof! Confetti. Eddie Braganza will grab your boobs at a party, allegedly. And yeah, so the shit is full on hitting the fan. I have yet to look around as much to see if it's hitting the fan just in the circles of people like us who care about this shit, or if the larger fanboy community is actually paying notice to this. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. But it's just... I don't know. From what I've seen, and I did a really stupid thing, Jordan. You're going to be really mad at me. Oh, God, you read comments. I read the comments. Why would you do that? I don't know. I was curious. And then the curious... Sidebar. Sidebar. Listen. 
Maybe it's a way for you to track engagement. Maybe it helps you, you know, sell ad space. Down with comment threads, 2016. Name me one good thing that has ever come out of a comment thread. Um, I disable comments on everything. And sometimes people are like, ah, I should be able to voice my opinion. No, 90% of the time, your opinion is shit. Your opinion has no purpose. And there are many other ways for you to voice your opinion. Hop on Twitter. You know, you can at me on that. You need to kick down my door and start smearing shit on the walls of my website. Fuck you. Oh, he's getting to angry Jordan levels. (laughs) This is (laughs) tirade voice. It's firing up. No, I... Comment threads, as proved by your experience, I'm sure. Uh, Why? And I I never, I I never comment on comment threads. I I don't generally look at them. Um, But I just was curious about what people thought of this story. And there was so much of, oh, well, Shelley Bond wasn't a good uh, editor. Says who? Some guy in Idaho. I've like, and that's the thing. It's just that there was a lot of making excuses for D- DC, which is something they really like to do, um, which I don't think you can do. Like, I, I just. Listen, if somebody who worked with her wants to come on the record and say Shelly Baum was not a good editor, I will listen to that. Here's what we have. We have people who have worked with Shelly Bond universally saying how sad they are that this has happened to her. And we have numerous people, numerous women, who have worked with Eddie Berganza, all telling the same story. Well, it's also not, it's not just women. It's the men who work there as yeah, well. I guess it was a man, I, was, I guess it was a man who uh, originally outed him on Twitter. Yeah. And a lot of men have said they've been warned by other editors or managers that they, this is why no women work in that office. Yes. Yeah, so this is, the, this is the Superman office, which people have noted has no women working at it at all or for it at all and whether this is uh <laughs> to protect women or to, pre- to protect dc from legal liabilities who knows either way it's fucked up yeah it's it's super up. why does this guy still have a job and they and keep on moving him that's the other thing this yeah, they is- kept him they moved the entire office from new york to burbank across the country this is why... Um, and they kept them. But this is why people are mentioning these two things in one breath. It's because you can find ways to keep the serial sexual harasser and make different positions for him and move him around. Give and, him the Superman office. <laughs> give him the Superman office and you can't find another role. And I think it was that she was a woman and she was probably pushing back on some things. And they didn't like that. It all just... Makes you real sad, doesn't it? Just the ability for, like, the lack of long-term memory in the nerd community. Like, Brian Wood, I remember. I'm not going to forget, Brian Wood. You were out there running amok. People called you on it. Yep. You said you were sorry. Kept your head down for a few months. Still writing all the books you've always written. And I liked you, Brian Wood. I'll get full Tyra on this. Like, we were all rooting for you. (laughs) Then you had to like try some pull some like oh come up to my room I'll look at your portfolio like nonsense on some woman at a convention like ugh. Blech. Blech. Eddie Berganza ale- not even allegedly Alex DeCampi is the one who told this story on the article I was reading and basically said I'm not going to say allegedly because they both happened in public places that a million people saw will you know grab somebody's boobs or stick his tongue down your girlfriend's throat at a staff party like. Blech. Blech. <laughs> But it's the same thing. Like I, ha- I have granted, I haven't done any follow up because it makes me sad. But I guarantee you, it's just going to be like, it's a tempest in a teacup. Just keep your head down and you know keep putting out the books and 
and people will forget. But I think that's one of the good things about, and I'm not saying this because men aren't also great at this, but women have a tendency to call people out on stuff where, I mean, in this case, it wasn't a woman, but they do have a tendency to remind people of why someone is vile or (laughs) remember this thing happened because I think that it because it doesn't have an impact as much on men they forgive and I mean in this case it probably had to be a man who called him out because in the the follow-up since a woman who knew the story years ago and tried to like write about it from a journalistic standpoint couldn't get any traction because obviously the women who had been affected or harassed by him were just as happens we're like, no, just forget it. You know, I don't want to risk my chances at getting future work. Which is just insane. Which is insane. But, you know, we just want to fuck it. Just put it behind it. And I'll just, you know, avoid that guy and and move on. And I mean, the comics industry is just... If it doesn't make you sad how long this has been going on. And how fucking, like, still frat boy, Cro-Magnon-minded you know, fraternal mentality at work in the comic industry, like the boys club that still exists that, you know, it seems like it's getting better, but then you find out like, oh, that's just one bright spot in, you know, 30 years of bullshit that women have been having to deal with in this industry. This fucking bums me out, man. How do you think I feel? (laughs) Like, like, I mean, there, there have been times when I was really liking something and then... Like you had said, you found out you like people's work and then you found out something horrible about them and you can't, you realize you can't enjoy that thing anymore. And I mean, this is a lar- it's a larger topic. I mean, that's a whole other topic. I, I have a problem with the, I try to separate. I have a p- issue with the whole problem. Your fave is problematic type thing. Listen, I still listen to Michael Jackson and, you know, love his music. Uh, if you have, if you're waiting to drop that article about how Prince was a terrible person uh, to get the clicks in the next couple of weeks, you can just miss me with that because I'm not hearing it. That said, I do think in the case of something like Brian Wood, even though I do try to separate the person from the work, I'm very new criticism like that. Brian Wood was getting held up as being like the feminist guy. He was writing the all woman X Men book. He was like he worked with a lot of women. He wrote demo with Becky Cloonan. Like he. That's kind of how he was selling himself a little bit. Like, you know, yeah. hey, girls, want want somebody you can rely on to tell stories that are relevant to you and respect your position in the world? Come to Brian Wood. Oops, turns out he might grab your boobs if left alone with you in a room. Yeah. That's more of a bummer. And that's when I have, that's when I start to struggle with that more. And I haven't read a Brian Wood book since I heard the news, basically. Well, and it's also the thing of why should someone be able to not have women work in the office that he works in because he is a scumbag why why is why is the knee-jerk reaction to be protect eddie yeah and that's why that's why i wouldn't read something because they're making it difficult now for who knows how many women i mean tons of women have left dc for a variety of yeah. reasons, but it's sort of, it comes up over and over and over again. And every time I hear it, I'm not surprised. And that's sad to me. And that's why I look for books and for imprints and publishers that are more female friendly um, because it's, they're sort of safer. <laughs> and the larger alleged alleged is that allegedly 
one of the reasons Berganza keeps his job is because he has something. He's got some sort of blackmail material on somebody higher up than him. Ooh, <laughs> it's all very cloak and dagger, John Lucare type uh... shit. Um, but it's basically just like DC's entire culture has been exposed. I mean, this isn't just one. And as we'll talk about in a bit, yeah, DC. <laughs> <laughs> DC, keep keep fucking it up, DC. We're so sad. We just sound so defeated and <laughs> sad. So, hope rooting for you. I don't even like Marvel that much, but you just keep fucking up, DC. Yeah. Anyway, Caitlin and I need to go do a shot. Also, the- also, Jordan, sorry. You give the worst presents. You don't want that? You want to return that? I don't. <laughs> okay. I want I want some story about like how they're hiring a whole a whole like group of women to write all the rest of the comics for DC forever. <laughs> Okay, so I'll mark that in my notebook. <laughs> Fuckery is not a good welcome back gift no. for the podcast. Um, so while I write that in my notebook, we will take a break here and return in a moment with the part of the show you are here for, probably. You probably need to pick me up after all that. Hopefully, that'll this will bring it to you. Hopefully. It'll be the moment where Caitlin and I discuss the things we brought each other, and we'll be back with that right after this. See you soon. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Geek Down. Uh, thank you so much for tuning back in or, you know, waiting for that music to pass. Um, during that m- music, that would usually be where a possible ad would go. Still waiting. Still waiting. Still waiting. Still waiting. Um, but that's okay. We understand, you know, you uh, haven't had proof of, you know, our our commercial voices yet, but... Maybe we can give you an example, maybe next week or the week after. <laughs> I don't know that last week really sold anybody on it. But. I know, I actually thought it was pretty good. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, and, you you know, you sing shiny soap. Yeah, so that's yeah. why you liked it. You just liked it because I sang shiny shiny soap. I was, I was really excited. <laughs> uh, I really liked that episode because most of the episode you guys just talked to me. <laughs> and I felt very special. Uh, so thank you for that. Now that you've heard the entire segment, you are, you are confident in your decision to... Uh, comfortable in your decision to have passed over audition um yes i actually when you, when kaim was describing some stuff i i almost vomited like just knowing about what some of the stuff was i actually got sick and why why did you have to describe it i could have just said it was really gross we don't need to talk about it kind of wondered that myself but <laughs> Well, no, I think it was good. For day. So people maybe knew exactly why it was gross, but yeah, no, it actually made my stomach turn. And, uh, and well, I... fair warning, nothing of that sort on the docket today. No, it's all nice and peachy and happy. All nice and happy, Jace. Uh, if anything, it's it's the it's the Geek Down Book Club this week. Yeah, it's very literary. As always, before we get into it, we have rules. There are three rules. Caitlin, it's been a while. Have you totally forgotten the rules? Probably. What's rule number one? A rule number one is the rule of three. The rule of three. Oh, I'm on a good roll so far. What is the rule of three? The rule of three is that um, if the item we give each other comes in uh, segments or episodes or issues, we have to consume at least three of those. To give it a shot, one, usually not enough, a lot of setup, story doesn't really get moving, just places you in the world, so you have to watch at least two more to give it a chance to settle itself in the world and make a more 
knowledgeable decision about what you thought of it. Exactly. And you can go past that, but you have to at least watch or read or consume three. The second rule. No tipping of the hand. Which means that Jordan and I cannot talk to each other at all about what it is that we consumed. Hashtag save it for the pod. Save it for the pod, which is very difficult, as Kayam discovered last week. <laughs> so many times messaging <laughs> Kayam that week, save it for the pod. Yes. Uh, also, this week was very hard for me, and you will find out why in a bit. Um, and <laughs> I then... was so excited to give it to you. We'll get to it in a minute. Uh, rule number three. Not a rule per se, so much a policy on spoilers. There will be spoilers. There will be spoilers. Uh, I don't know that anything that will come up this week. Well, for mine, not for the one I gave you, but the one you gave me, definitely. I think. I mean, it's not like it's going to be a huge surprise. And I don't to think many that people. the knowledge really ruins the enjoyment no. of the product. The one you gave me, maybe you gave me a novel this week. I did. Um, so there may be details about that. You have seen the title. If you ever thought you wanted to or would want to read The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake by Amy Bender, there may be some plot details in there. But it's not really a plot book, so I don't know that there's... There is, but there isn't. Um, um, also, we don't know how long this segment is going to be this week. I've never given Jordan a novel we've before. Ne never tried a novel. It could be really long or really short. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. To that end, hey, I just said it. The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake. Caitlin, why'd you give me this book? Um, I gave you this book because it is one of my favorite books. It is also um, sort of an interesting take on superpowers. Um, when this book came out, at the same time, I was, I happened to be reading uh, Chew, uh, which is a comic oh, book. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And the comic book is about someone who can eat food or things and find sort of the history of that thing. Hot take. Hated the pun on his name. Ruined that book for me from the outset. Okay. Um... But the particular sadness of Lemon Cake is very similar in which the main character, who is named Rose Edelstein, um, discovers she can taste emotions in food. She discovers this when she's nine and she's eating her mother's lemon cake and tastes sadness and disappointment and... and A void. Uh, something missing. Something missing. And then through her power and her understanding of that power, um, a story about family and life is told yeah uh i you went with the chew analogy i immediately went to like the reverse side of like water for chocolate yes i like was water, also thinking that one but i like didn't water think for chocolate uh mexican novel was she mexican yeah, i believe so uh, sorry i was just gonna say um i just didn't know if people would be as familiar our audience would be as familiar <laughs> like with Water, water for, for Chocolate. Well, step up, nerds. Read outside <laughs> your comfort zone. Uh, like Water for Chocolate, I believe it's a Mexican novel. I'll correct it on the Tumblr page if I'm wrong. Um, by Lara Esquivel. Um, where part of it's not the primary driving force. I guess it's kind of the moment that sets the plot off. The youngest sister of a family is making a wedding cake. Her sister is marrying the the man that she loves. And she has to make the wedding cake. And she's very sad, and as she's crying while she makes the cake, her tears fall into the batter, and her emotions get into the cake and spirals out from there. This is like the reverse of that, where the person eating it 
I guess it is kind of the same thing, but told from the other side. Yes. Sort of thing. Where Rose not only can detect every detail about the food, where it came from, whether it was processed, if it's organic, where in the country it originated from, she can also gain insight into the emotional state of the person who made it. And yeah, it's it's really more about the family, though, and what she learns about her family from eating the various foods that they make and how this kind of like affects her relationships with them. And as a person who has very high emotional intelligence, that's me, not you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, It was very interesting because I have a tendency to pick up on things that people think they're hiding really well. And this story was interesting in that, of course she tastes the food and can figure out what people are feeling even though and she talks about this a lot her mother has sort of this perfect mask of happiness that she puts up what did you think about that kind of element of being able to sort of figure out people's secrets um through their emotions i like the conceit of the novel um it's not you go to superpowers i immediately kind of went to like a magical realism type of thing well yeah but Um, i just mean as a descriptor what would you call that what she has yeah magical realism for people don't know is just where it's the it's written very straight ahead it takes place in a world where everything else is quote-unquote normal but these things that are not normal just kind of happen um murakami is notable for this garcia marquez has used this a lot and this book does it as well, where as far as we know, Rose, and as we learn, perhaps her brother and perhaps other members of her family um, can do these things. No one else apparently can. It's, that that you know of. That you know of. Um, it's not like she joins the X-Men or anything like that. Like, there's no... That's not the point. The point is really what she learns about her mother, specifically. So I got about 90% through the novel. I got about 30 pages left. I always go to characters when it comes with a novel. I did not hate any of these people. Well, that's good. I I liked them all. The mom was a little flighty, which I wish maybe we had gotten into more of a... I guess we did a little bit with the grandma and things like that. The possibly demented, suffering from dementia, a grandmother who was like sending packages of like her salad bowl. <laughs> She's just like getting rid of back to the family from Washington State to Los Angeles. There were things about there were things about every character I kind of related to and enjoyed, like how the mom would always like find new interests as she was trying to, like we said, the first the thing that sets off the novel is Rose detecting this like despair and loneliness and unsettledness and, and this, emptiness, this longing in her mother's cooking, and that's kind of explored through the mother constantly bouncing from she'll like flit from interest to interest display a natural ability to start hit the wall and then kind of drift off because it's not easy anymore um as someone who's maybe done that a few times in his <laughs> life i could relate to that uh, i really like the dad he's getting he doesn't get explored really fully until the later portion of the novel the only one that really bothered me was the brother and i think he's meant to because he also really was like this dude me. is on the spectrum and you need to take well that was it and and i you know i maybe have a little bit of mental illness in my family. Maybe that's why I am the way I am. But knowing people like that and knowing people who sort of you can't really connect with properly, it was a, I thought it was a really good depiction of mm-hmm. that. And yes, she uses uh, power to sort of 
talk about it, but I think that it 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 was really well done. And I you get really frustrated with him and you sort of understand her frustration with her brother really well. I guess and I'm just workshopping this right now, people, and this might be a spoiler. Um so skip ahead like 5 minutes. I guess maybe what we're dealing with here is like all of the quote unquote powers have to do with like overstimulation. Cuz I just read the point where the dad's like you know, your grandfather could smell people, right? Yes. So like for the grandfather, he could, he had the same sort of ability as Rose, but for him it was olfactory. He like could smell how people, the type of people they were. And for Rose, it's, she gets it through the food. The father suspects, there's a detail that's mentioned throughout about how the father will always avoid hospitals. Yeah. And he says, he suspects he has something similar he just feels like if he walks into a hospital, he's going to find out what it is and he doesn't want to. Yeah. So he like is deathly afraid of hospitals. He did not enter one when both of his children were born. When his son was hospitalized, he refused to go in, et cetera, et cetera. And at first you think it's just kind of him being flighty because he's depicted as sort of this like very confident but slightly quirky dude who's maybe not fully present all the time. But it turns out there may be another reason for that. And for the brother, it may have just been everything. Yes. Because he ultimately, spoiler, 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 the brother uh, vanishes. Maybe he turned into a chair. Um, yeah, it's very, I love that. That, that the, part was the weirdest part of the novel. And I love that he sort of, he's so, when he, when she catches him doing it, he he's so embarrassed about it almost. Mm. Like, like, you know, someone walked in on him masturbating or something. Like it was, it was done in a really interesting way. So to contextualize it, the brother is, and I, this resonated a lot with me as well, the brother was kind of heralded as being a genius when he was younger, Yeah. then caught up to his level and started being around people who were at his level or better, and then his social ineptitude started to get in the way of his academic ability, yep. and he doesn't get into the college that he wants to go to, he doesn't get into any of the colleges he wants to go to. He kind of ends up going to like a community college. He demands to move out. The mother is very enabling. The son is her st- son and stars. She lets him do basically whatever he wants. Um, so she pays the rent for him to just kind of like live on his own. Nobody knows what he's doing. And he stops calling one day. He's supposed to call every day because the mom is kind of smothering that way and demands it. And he's also proven to be a little weird by this point. The son's name is Joseph. And she, the mother asks rose to go check on joseph and when she goes there he's basically like half of his leg has turned into a chair like he's completely like shut himself off from the world um and this is on the heels of a few like disappearing acts he's pulled yeah like you said like the the comparison to like being caught masturbating is very similar where like he's tried to like disappear he has disappeared he just nobody can find him and then rose will find him in a hallway and he's just kind of like uh what yeah, stunned and sort of doesn't really know what's going on. And as of yet, I have no real clear explanation. The book doesn't really give you one. I don't think it will as to what really happened to him. There was just a moment where Rose is having this discussion where she's learned from her father about her grandfather and and she confesses to him, to her father, what she can do. And the father is just kind of like, you saw something that day, didn't you? When the brother disappeared for good. And she says, yes. And he's like, I don't know what I don't want to know what it is, but is he coming back? Yeah. And she's like, no, he's not coming back. I don't think he is. And the father just kind of like accepts that. So and yeah, think- maybe, maybe there's a comment there going on about like what it's like for people on the autism spectrum. And 
and what stimulus and, and things like that. Also, what it's like for a, a family to deal with loss when someone disappears and they don't out and out die, but they just cut themselves off from mm-hmm. family. I thought that was really a apt description where you kind of see signs and then all of a sudden someone's gone. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed this book. Like I said, it's one of my favorites. Um, I think for the time that I worked at the major Canadian retailer. Major Canadian retailer. I tried to get every single person to walk out with a copy of that book. You, you did were, a good job. You were selling. I remember it was your staff pick and you sold You sold a f- more a than lot. a few copies. Yeah. You should thank me, Amy Bender. Amy who, Bender. Amy Bender, you're on the wall. Yeah. You owe Caitlin money. <laughs> um, because it was such a good read and it was so different from the sort of regular fiction that I, I've read. It's a nice... The writing is very... I don't want to say plain, but it's very like undecorous. Like it's not, yeah, it's not trying to impress you. It's just, but narratively, it's really sound. I liked it a lot because in the few times I have attempted fiction writing, it's very much in the lane of the shit I was into. Just you know, sprinkles of weird in an otherwise normal, quote unquote, normal story. Okay, so with that sort of from you, what what rating would you give it? <sighs> What? I'm doing waiting music. 7.5. 7.5? Yeah. Huh, excellent. I don't... I don't want to give it an 8 because I'm not done it yet. Still ample pages for it to shit the bed and make me so mad. I throw it out the window. It doesn't get... Like I said, there's a lot there that I liked and empathized with with the characters. I'm not one of the, you know, the debate is always like, your characters don't have to be likable. Well, it's just nice when they are. Yes. Um, and there's so many that aren't. It's like, no, they don't have to be likable characters, but it's, you know, it's kind of more enjoyable when they are. I liked all of these people. Um, I like Rose. And it's just, it's, it's like a book where nothing happens, but you have no problem with that. Yeah. Years just kind of flow by. Doesn't really matter. You're just kind of happy to hang out with these, with these people. I like Bender's writing. She's she's written quite a, like some other things as well. She, this is her second novel, and she's written one more. She has she had one that came out recently. I think it was called The Color House or something uh, like that. Something like that. I don't know. Uh, you can find it at major Canadian retailer. I'm actually really interested to. I haven't read anything else by her. I didn't realize she had read or had written more. Um, so I might actually check it out and update people. Oh. Yep, she did have a new. I know she had a new book that came out because. Um, this is an older book, maybe a little harder to find in your brick and mortars. Um, I could not find a copy physically uh, to snag. I had to get an ebook from the library, but that's available to you as well. Um, yeah, and it was just it was just nice. Like I read it really fast. I had to, I didn't have a lot of time this week, so I basically had to try and read it as much as possible between Thursday or Friday and today. Well done. Um, it's a, but it's a real it's a real easy read, and it's just. It's just nice. I think it's a good time of year to read it, too. You know, it's set in Los Angeles, so it's, you know, warm. It gives you that warm feeling. And it's springtime in Toronto now, so it's, you know... It's <laughs> springtime. Quote, sure it is. Um, so I was just sitting with the window open this morning, reading it before Caitlin came over. And it's just it's just nice. It's And again, this is the point of this podcast. It's probably not something... I knew it was one of Caitlin's favorite books. Probably never would have got to it on my own. And so thanks for making me read it. I was, You're welcome. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I, I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't completely collapse <laughs> in the last thirty pages. Oh, you have to let me know. I'll have let to y'all know me. next week. So yeah, quick and to the point. Like I said, we're figuring out how to do uh, how to do books. Books are hard because I feel like 
I don't know, maybe it's the sort of thing where we just, for future books, maybe we just have to, like, both pick one and really, like, get into the nit- the nitty-gritty of the it for, like, the yeah. full the full section. But it's hard to really convey, I think, for a novel. Um, but it is good, and I, re- I recommend it to people if you like a... If you're not somebody who really dabbles in quote-unquote magical realism... Um, it's a good starter. It's definitely a good starting point if you've never... If you never tried a book like that, because sometimes, you know, maybe they're translated from another language or maybe they're a little highfalutin. Uh, this is not that. This is very much an everyman type of language. Um, not to say it's completely without metaphor or beautiful passages. Those are all in those are in there as well. Yeah. And then you can, after reading that, you can read Cloud Atlas. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That's a jump. <laughs> it's a bit of a, a bit of a leap. Try uh, Try Marquez. Uh, try, yeah. try try some try some shorter Murakami maybe. Um, all right, well that's great. I'm really excited that you liked it. Yeah. So moving on. Moving on. The thing I gave Caitlin. Yep. I came in to work at major Canadian retailer probably about two days after she left on vacation, and I said, "Oh, that seems." I remember that had been delayed for a while, and it and it finally came in, and I read it, and I was about ten pages in when I said. Oh God, she has to read this. I cannot wait to think what to hear what she thinks of this. This, the long delayed Wonder Woman Earth One graphic novel, brought to you by Captain Insano Grant Morrison and Yannick Paquette. We know Caitlin loves Wonder Woman. Caitlin wants to see more Wonder Woman stories. This is certainly a Wonder Woman story. It certainly is. So a brief note about the Earth One series. The Earth One series, I don't know if it's expanding into a universe where these characters are going to cross over or not. God, I hope it doesn't. Uh, we don't need another fucking universe in the world, DC. But basically what it started as was just a series of stories, graphic novels, which means they are like longer comics, uh, usually come out in hardcover first. And very similar to sort of the Marvel Ultimate Universe, where they tell the story of these characters that you know, placed in a contemporary world where there are no other superheroes. And they change things. The Batman one is probably most notable, first and foremost, because he's rather inept. Because he has just started. His grappling hook doesn't work. Alfred is like a war veteran with a missing leg. He's younger. (laughs) He's probably about 50 instead of like the kind of like older 75. Right. I don't know much about the other one. Superman, he's much, he's a much younger version of the character. There's a Teen Titans one that's been done. And as Caitlin informed me, the Wonder Woman story was apparently supposed to be done by... Longtime Wonder Woman writer and one of the more celebrated Wonder Woman writers, Greg Rucka, and J.H. Williams III, who did Sandman Overture. Uh, second time that's come up today. Go read it. It's great. Um, <laughs> he does a, a beautiful job. And Sandman Overture. I mean. And Sandman Overture. Uh, as Caitlin informed me, apparently what seems to have happened in another installment of, hey, DC, how you fucking up now? Which is, we might make that into a segment, by <laughs> the way. Somebody make that shirt. Um... Grant Morrison expressed interest in wanting to do this, and they just kind of shuffled Greg Rucka off? Or Well, yeah, apparently Greg Rucka had done some stuff with the promise that he would get to do this Wonder Woman. Um, and because he, he absolutely wanted to do an Origins, and he had all these ideas, and he was really excited to do it, and he got a phone call one day saying he was off the project and Grant Morrison was in. And at that time that the interview was done, he said that he told them, if you do that, I will have to leave DC. Um, and he did for a very long time until recently when DC drove the dump truck of money up to Greg Rucka's house 
and said, please write the Rebirth Wonder Woman story for like 10 issues or whatever. Yeah. And Greg Rucka said, well, money's cool. And Wonder Woman. And I guess I'll tell these stories I've always wanted to tell. That is something else entirely. What we have here. So it's been a while since I've read Super Gods, which was Grant Morrison. If you don't know Grant Morrison. He's a crazy Scottish guy. He's a crazy Scottish guy. He uh, believes in magic. He believes he was like high on fucking ayahuasca or mescaline or some shit out in the (laughs) Andes once. (laughs) Believes he met aliens and saw the entire fabric of the universe. This is a real story. He wrote this. He wrote this down. He says this happened. And isn't he friends with Alan Moore? Uh, Yes, they are very good friends. He (laughs) may be a... uh, apprentice to alan moore's own magics i was gonna say alan moore's a wizard isn't he m-i-g-i-c-k-s i I don't know why there's a k on it nerds are yelling yes grant morrison best known probably on the broadest sense for writing arkham asylum in the 80s he wrote one of my favorite batshit crazy comic books superhero comic books doom patrol uh in the 80s if you've never read the brotherhood of dada oh my god do yourself a favor and read that. There's a character named Mr. Exclamation Point. He comes as no surprise. <laughs> oh, God. That's awful. It's uh, <laughs> terrible. It's fantastic. He'll punch somebody in the back of the head. And it's like, are you okay? And they're like, yeah, but I kind of expected it. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, he will also get super batshit crazy and do things like The Invisibles, which no one needs to read, ever. So basically, Grant Morrison is, you'll, you never know if it's going to be good or... Or terrible. Yeah, you don't know what Grant Morrison you're going to get. Are you going to get the the kind of interesting futurist, like the guy who wrote We Three, which is, to my mind, one of the best comics of all time ever made. That's the story of the experimented on animals who, it's basically the incredible journey with, uh, or homeward bound with cyborgs. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And if you don't cry at the end of that book, you have no soul. Or he'll do like the Invisibles or Sea Guy or like weird. He's very inconsistent. Also best known, similar to the Greg Rucka thing, he has his own version of that story at Marvel where he basically, I loved his X-Men run. He was writing the X-Men for a while. This was one of the big gets when Marvel was like resurging Mm -hmm. uh, post-bankruptcy was they put Grant Morrison on the X-Men. And he basically made Magneto a terrorist who like killed half of New York by the end of it when the run finally ended and like killed Jean Grey. OG Jean Grey has not been seen since. After a couple months, the powers that be at Marvel went, oh, God, no, no, we don't like that. We need to, we need to market him. People like Ian McKellen and Fassbender. We need to make him, we need to make him sympathetic and kind of undid all that. And Morrison was like, okay, bye. And went back to DC where he's kind of been living and doing his own thing ever since. Grant Morrison has very distinct ideas about the core Justice League DC characters. He's gone on record many times as saying he sees them as like Greek gods. Yeah. This is the difference between... If the X-Men are like everyman type of characters who like yeah. you can relate to on a personal level, DC has always been much more mythic. And Grant Morrison really leans into that. And he's also the type of guy who believes that continuity is a thing, not that should be respected, but can be made to work. Like his Batman run, he wrote Batman for like seven years. Its whole point was basically to reconcile all the versions of Batman and basically saying every Batman story that's ever been published happened in continuity i'm the, learning things folks i he jordan is obviously well versed like the crazy stuff in the 60s that you look how does that make it he went to space he who was the batman of zur and how do you make this happen how does bat might exist he made that all work in his run the batman of zur and he made into like a psychic like trigger like if anybody ever tried to like assault him with hypnosis or something it was a switch in his head where he would just go straight batman no Bruce Wayne. That was the Batman of Zurinar. And Batmite was like 
a hallucination programmed into his brain as well to try and like keep him on point when he was in that mode. Like, I don't know if this holds up to close scrutiny, but I mean, he was trying. Right. So he always tries to like make the weird shit from the early days fit in to the more contemporary versions of the characters, which brings us to Wonder Woman. It does indeed. So if you did not know this about Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman was originally created by a psychologist named William Moulton Marston. William Moulton Marston... Not a superhero. Not a superhero. Was a psychologist who was very much into bondage. He was. And polyamory. Yes. And had a loving relationship with his wife and his mistress with a lot of tying up. Wonder Woman was not really so much meant to be a feminist comic as a female supremacist comic. Yes. Like, so if you wonder why Wonder Woman has a lasso, that's why. It's why. tying people up yep. all the time. Mm-hmm. Most Wonder Woman comics from the 30s and 40s, she's usually getting tied up at some point. Yep. As we said, Grant Morrison likes to take these weird things, weird elements of the characters from their origins and recontextualize them. So that's what he tried to do here. So there's a lot of chaining up, a lot of tying up, a lot of willful subjugation on the parts of various characters, primarily Diana. And yeah, you look at the cover of the book, you basically get a sense of what we're working with here. It's her on the cover, kind of chest heaving a little bit. She's very broad shouldered, mm, stretching against some chains. mm, There's so there's so many. I can't. Mm. So I think I've said enough for the moment. This is basically, like we said, a retelling of kind of the Wonder Woman origin story. You learn about, you know, her parentage and how she came to be and the world of Thermoscara and the first encounter with quote unquote man's world, which is the world at large when test pilot Steve Trevor crash lands on Paradise Island Mm -hmm. and what they will do about that. Uh, Hippolyta wants to just kill him, be done with it. Man's world has no place here. Yeah. Uh, Diana wants to get out and see the world, does not like being kept uh, in the little playpen that her mother has built for her. And uh, yeah, that's basically the story and the fallout from that. And now I'm going to step back and let Caitlin uh, apparently rant about <laughs> what um, she thought of this. Caitlin, what'd you think? Of, <clears throat> what'd you think of Wonder Woman Earth One? <clears throat> okay. So as I mentioned earlier in this episode, I am of very often two minds of things, and I have a hard time reconciling those. One side is just from a viewpoint of I have to sort of like suck. I am a feminist, as we know. I have to sort of suck any kind of like view feminist viewpoint from a thing to sort of see it from a different perspective. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to sort of take a step. The feminist is going to take a step back. She's like, snap. going to give the non-feminist and feminist reading of this, yeah. of this item. Okay. So from a, a non-feminist reading, it wasn't very good. It was boring. It was really, like, the story seemed really rushed. They kind of, like, they didn't ever take a breath. I find that with a lot of Morrison's work sometimes. It just, it was, like, one thing, like, there was no, like, it was never still. And part of that was also, I found the artwork. The artwork was always done sort of on angles. You never got sort of a straight or broad shot. Everything was very close and tight and angled and that, those shots were weird. And I understand it was another origin story, and that's probably one of the reasons why I found it was boring. But also, when you do an origin story, you have such a good chance to do things, right? Differently. And I guess there were some things I did like. I did like that 
that they're like in the telling of the world, the mascara, they were they were lesbians. I, I, I think that might have come up before in one of the retellings of the mascara, but I could be wrong. I, I don't know. I haven't read tons of Wonder Woman. It wasn't. It was pointed out to me by Stupid Matt. I can't call him Stupid Matt this week because he got punched in the face at work. And that's another story. But uh, that suffering Sappho, which one of the characters says at one point, which is, was like an eye rolling moment to me. Like, yeah. oh, Jesus, was an actual thing that they would say. It was like an actual exclamation from like the 30s Wonder Woman comics. All right. Well, so there you there, go. There you go. Yeah. Le- lesbianism right at the forefront. Yeah. So, okay, that's fine. That was great. Um, I really liked, and I, I'm guessing this is Grant Morrison, but also um, also Yannick Paquette, the way they did sort of, it was like futurist, but ancient. I really liked that as well. You saw that a little bit with um, Atlantis, the movie from Disney, where they had all this sort of like futurist technology, but but it was magic. I really like that. I like the magic. Um, well, I, I like Star Wars. So <laughs> I really like that. And, you know, that was all great. I, like I said, I also didn't think the, like, the writing, the dialogue was very good. It was a lot of. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, I've had this moment with Morrison a lot and with Jonathan Hickman, who has, like, been celebrated as the heir apparent to Morrison. It's just like sometimes they write dialogue and it's like, nobody talks like that and 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 uh, and i brought it up before but the um the wonder woman in in justice league war and she's very like she has this weird way of talking which is very like i am a strong woman what is this ice cream thing i really enjoyed that i thought it was funny it did show her coming from like almost like she was an alien but was familiar with certain concepts Mm -hmm. and i really i like that and maybe that was what he was going for but it didn't work they never explain how she learns english so quickly um there's just all kinds of little bits and pieces that didn't quite make any sense also they talk about how she's a great this is diana this is wonder woman how she's such a great healer and she keeps on calling the technology have the blue ray the purple ray the purple ray sorry which is She's not. She, I thought she wasn't supposed to be an idiot. Like they have to have a name for the the purple ray and like how it works. And maybe they would call it some other name beside oh the healing machine thingy. I suspect that might be a callback to another of these dumb things that they have from back in the '30s that he's trying to. Fine, but um, I just thought that was that was silly. Yes, the purple ray originates from the old like. Okay, well then, have it be a purple ray. It is how she healed Steve Trevor in the original comics. Great. Purple ray. Wonderful. But call it something like, be like, oh yes, the purple ray, also known as this technical (laughs) name. I don't know. It just, like I said, it wasn't engaging. I was not interested to see what else happened. They had a a missed opportunities for action, like with the uh, Gorgon, which... Yeah, that happened real fast. Yeah, and that that was kind of silly. Um, Diana has left, unbeknownst to her mother, and when her mother finds out, she basically sends... A Gorgon. A Gorgon and a few... um, I can't remember what they're called. Her, like, soldiers. So I think, like, you see tips of the hat to, like, Donna Troy, and I think the... What's the blonde Wonder Girl's name? I thought she was supposed to be nodded to in there as well. Yeah, I can't remember. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I just I at a certain point I was sort of like it, again it's hard I'm trying to say pull the feminist out of all of this but there was I mean a lot of it was bogged down by that but I did try and take another look at it from just a like enjoying comics perspective and it just wasn't engaging and it wasn't fun and it was seemed really rushed I couldn't get over it it was just seemed like 
like there was no moment for like reflection or she was literally like in the man's world for like 10 minutes and it was like fuck it I'm leaving like it was like there was no wanting to really discover the man's world and maybe talk to the women there and like it was just yeah there were some things I did like I did like the sort of oh god I'm trying to think of things I liked um no I did like what about the whole like encounter with the sorority that explains no why she loses her pants um that makes my are we saving that we're saving are we saving that for the feminist oh oh yeah yeah. i'm trying to think things i did like i did like the sort of the the voices of regular people in the story Mm -hmm. um i thought some of that was done really really well um i loved the art style oh i loved it if there's anything you can take away from this it's that yannick paquette is a very talented i did i did not like that Every single woman on Themyscira looks the exact same. It does border on cheesecake it, sometimes. It was, it was, it was like Sailor Moon. It was like they all had the. It's like he just slightly changed the hair color. Mm. Uh, that was it. Like every single person's body and face basically looked the same. He just changed eye color and hair color. I didn't like that the only main black female character was called Nubia. <laughs> yes. Like, what the fuck was that? Anyways, I just yeah. So. Even from taking all the feminist stuff out, the art was amazing. Steve Trevor was black. Yes, he was. I did like that. I always like it when they've just they just decide to change characters. I think that's cool. Had a reason for it as well, and I thought it was maybe a little uh, ham fit, a little a little ham fisted, but I mean, couldn't he have just said like she saved my life twice? I just I <laughs> thought maybe I wouldn't screw up your whole paradise thing going on instead of being like, well, my people were slaves because I'm a black man. Like that seemed a little ridiculous. That's what you get when two white guys work on the same comic book. Like, you know. I, I understand that he brought that in, but I don't think that's a, a single reason for deciding not to ruin paradise. I think there has to be a little bit more to it than that. Not that that's not something someone would think of, but I just don't think that is. I think that's using someone's color. Now for the feminist reading. Are you ready? Woo! How mad are you? If I had a lot of money in the world. Yes. Um... I would feel bad about it, but I would basically buy every copy of it. Every copy. Burn it. Burn it. This comic book was so much bullshit, I couldn't at times... Ha- I had to walk away several times. Several times. And it was not... It was... Okay, I'm just... How does, how does her, her bra piece stay up? Like before, her chest. before they give her the majorette outfit or yeah well the major outfit doesn't have any straps no and she has like again like a triple like x cup so how exactly does it stay on her boobs well i'm assuming her breasts are so perfect that they have like an upward tilt yeah of course to them yeah that, that the bustier can kind of like sit on i wish when they i took superhero physics that they explained about <laughs> this part so that just cover just straight up the cover i was like i know he's doing this to put me into a rage and that's why i decided to do like two very different readings of it like i was just gonna literally shut down the feminist part which is very hard to do because it's sort of woven into the fabric of who i am and just be like okay let's look at this from a like i'm uh i don't know a 
21 year old guy and I'm reading this and let's talk about and because Kyan brought up we are not artists and we're I mean you're a writer but I'm I don't do any of that kind mm-hmm. of thing so what is it like to write a comic what are you going for what are you looking at and I was trying to think of it from that perspective there, there's what are you going for and should you have gone for it which I think is which, what's at play and, here and what's really weird is I I'm fine I am totally fine with S&M and that kind of roots of the comic um but DC what are you doing you literally have a show called what is it DC super girls You just showed me the thing. Oh, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Okay. So it's basically a show for young, young girls. That's what it's targeted to. And the main character... (laughs) And this comic ends up next to it on the fucking shelf. And and the main character is Wonder Woman. It's her navigating the new school and life and school life. The show is terrible. It is terrible. But... So you've decided, okay... Girls like this stuff. Let's market it to girls. And then you go, but let's have her roots be all based on S&M from the 1930s. Like, make up your mind. The whole, like, first of all, no one ever puts someone in a chain collar when they're bringing them back to, like, face trial. And Thermoscara they do, apparently. <sighs> have you been? No, you're right. I haven't been. I shouldn't judge. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's just so much. The sor- okay, so Wonder Woman at one point saves a bus full of sorority girls. The fat one having eaten all the food because she's fat. Woo-woo! Which is just so stupid. And then they give her a makeover, making her wear less. Because girls... No, the makeover was because... What was it? She was... They didn't... They she ha- was going to protect Steve Trevor, but in order to do that, he had to like... You know, no surrender. No. Like she tried to get him in the collar. No, or something. that is not why. It was because literally because they were bored, and that's what you do when you're bored. You don't like read a book or watch a movie. You make up makeover, makeover, makeover. makeover some makeover, woman you makeover, just makeover. met. Well, she did save their lives. They thought they were doing her a solid. Okay, yeah, because that the person who needs a makeover is the like what six seven model Amazonian uh, woman with perfect skin. Like that's the one who needs a makeover. I just it just is so stupid. It's stupid. It's not even like sexist or bad writing. It's just stupid. It is stupid. I don't, there's so much. There's so much. Oh yeah, and then at the very beginning, the weird like rape porn going on neil bitch dog of hercules oh my god (gasps) and like you know the fact so he says he talks about you you said grant morrison talks about the sort of he sees the justice league as greek heroes or, or sorry greek gods a pantheon yes yes which a lot of people have talked about not just grant morrison it's sort of the subject that comes up over and over again the the triad of you know Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Yes. But then he takes away her godly origins and makes her... Hercules is allowed to be a god person, but not not Wonder Woman. She has to be made from Hercules and Hippolyta, sorry. Refresh my memory. When that came out at the end... Did she? Did Hippolyta say she let it happen on purpose, or well, she, well, yes. are we basically making Wonder Woman a product of rape at this point? Well, they didn't say they didn't say rape. She said I took like part of Hercules and part, one of my eggs and like put them together and almost like she did manufacture it. Mm. But you're not. It's sort of blurry and unclear and 
and it just doesn't it's so it's just bad storytelling it's just bad storytelling and I don't why this is why you actually need editors at DC like I just don't preferably lady editors or anyone who just who's like hey you know what this is actually a terrible story it was terrible and I don't want to give the impression that I liked this. Oh, no, I by didn't. By any means. I thought you maybe you gave it to me because you didn't like it and thought it would be hilarious for me to freak out on the podcast. Primarily the reason, but I was just basically reading it legitimately curious because I'm reading it. I know the history of the character and I'm just going, I know what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I guess it's admirable that you're trying to do it. But holy shit, you are sinking like a stone here. But this is the thing. It could have been done. It could have been done. I just think there's a lack of respect for women that would and and that has mired it in bad writing. Does that make any sense? I think that there is a way to do things like I don't know bondage and stuff in a respectful way. It yeah, now that even I'm, in a fun way. Now that I'm thinking about it more, there are a lot of moments in the book where it's kind of like you're reading something and it's almost like Morrison is like in the corner of the page just going like, man, women be crazy, y'all. And like, I think even things like, so um, when Diana comes back, it's like like Jordan had said, the story is told in flashbacks. When Diana comes back to the island, she's wearing makeup and like they freak out. The Themyscurans are like, what's that disgusting stuff on your face? Like women, the only reason women wear makeup is to impress men. Women wear makeup because it's fun. We literally get to paint our faces. I've never once worn makeup for a guy. They don't care. (laughs) Guys don't care about makeup. And that was just, even that little thing was frustrating. That the only way makeup could have come out in the world is because, in, in a man's world, that's the only reason why someone would wear makeup. Also, again, every single one of the Amazons is... It, it looks the exact same body-wise. And then they get all these other women from the man's world and they're sort of insulting them. And they immediately start having like a cat fight. Her and one other person, uh, the chubby girl and uh, Diana's ex-lover, who they never show to be in love, by the way. Right. Um, they just apparently are lovers. Uh, they immediately get into a cat fight. You know, there's there's just this lack of understanding and I, just so much of it frustrated me. I don't know that I can explain how much I dislike this, <laughs> this comic book. I'm at a loss for words. Is it even worth asking what a rating would be? I, I've changed. I've changed my mind several times on what a rating would be. At first, I was like, no, just sort of draw yourself back and, you know, maybe people would enjoy this. And then I read it again and I went, no, there's nothing here to help to, to really, no one needs to read this comic book unless you want to get frustrated and angry and want something to burn later. I give it like a two. So you liked it as much as Utena. I really love the art. <laughs> Yannick saving it for... Like he makes the, 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 they call it the swan ship. Um, the invisible, oh, yes, the invisible plane. It looks like a vagina and it's it awesome. Does. And I love stuff where like, there's just like vaginas hidden everywhere. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I really like vaginas and penises. But anyways, I think that's awesome. And I think it's really neat to see sort of a feminine take on architecture and, and that kind of thing. That was great. And again, like he can draw 
different sized people in a wonderful way. I'm guessing he got the instruction to make all the Themyscirans look the exact same. But he can do great things with expressions and faces and color. I mean, it was such a vibrant comic book. Yeah, it looks really good. Oh, it looks fantastic. It's just the story was terrible. And for so many reasons, not just because it was a sexist nightmare. Yeah, it's 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 a thought experiment masquerading as a Wonder Woman story. It's not a good comic. It's not a good Wonder Woman story. It's no. not. It's Morrison trying something. Sorry and I ranted there. I just... No, by all means. Go, listen, hey, I was thirsty for this. <laughs> Nobody needs to hear two dudes talk about a quote-unquote feminist book written by another made by two other dudes like yeah and it's weird to think that i that i I, like i talk a lot about like oh it was written by two white dudes well the other two white dudes i actually think might have also done a really cool thing which were if rucka and jh williams had done yeah like i think williams also like i love his art style as well um and as much as i liked yannick's work on this i think that it would have been interesting to see, like he does. He he does a lot of the work on Batwoman, Batgirl. Yes, he was writing and drawing the first few issues of a uh, of Batwoman. And I love the way he like does her hair and just the way he makes her move. I I, I really like that stuff. Um, so to see Diana presented in a different way. I think also would have been really cool. But just in this case, it was just a, a huge miss. It was a missed op- opportunity and the story just bottomed out. Agreed. Fingers crossed for Rucka's triumphant return to the character in a couple months. Yeah. Hopefully that'll uh, palate cleanse. Oh, and just as an example, just quick final example. So we know I, we talked about the cover of this comic book and it's Diana and Chains with an outfit that couldn't possibly stay on her. <laughs> but the cover of the, uh, sorry, of the Greg Ruckus Wonder Woman story, um, Hecatia? Greg Rucka. Rucka, sorry. Ruckus. Greg, Greg, Ruckus is, <laughs> Greg Ruckus is his battle rapper name. <laughs> I like that. We should tell him about that. Um, Greg Rucka, uh, he wrote, is it called Hecatia? Do you know? Uh, Hecatia? Hecate. Anyways. Um, is that the one where she's stepping on Batman's head? Yeah, exactly. That's the Wonder Woman I want. <laughs> that's, the, that's the subjugating, <laughs> submissive, submission version of the character. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have bondage, why not let her be the one doing the submissioning well, missed opportunities. Two out of ten. Two out of ten kick punches. Graham Morrison, you are uneven at best, but you're batshit crazy and comics needs you, so. we. <laughs> this didn't need to exist, but God bless, bless your heart for trying. <laughs> I guess. And that is just going to wrap it up on another episode of The Geek Down. You can listen to us every week, soundcloud.com slash geekdownpod. Follow us there. You'll get a notification every time a new episode goes online. Or as well, if you haven't already, I can't think of why you wouldn't, iTunes, Google Play, any of your podcast providers, search for us on there, hit subscribe, rate and review us. It helps us get those sweet, sweet ad dollars that as yet we don't have, but hey, fingers crossed. You never know. Find us online, geekdownpod.tumblr.com. It's where I make corrections and uh, correct the things that Caitlin can't remember. It's a lot of stuff. Or the things that I get wrong, which is also very many. On Twitter, at GeekDownPod, email us, GeekDownPod at gmail.com, or as well, everyone's fave, the Facebook group. If you write, I'll reply. Facebook.com slash GeekDownPod. Chat at us there. It's also a good way to find little supplemental materials, like 
the Thundercats bloopers that Kaim and I were going on about last week. I threw those up on there as well. They were hilarious. You, you should check them out. If you've never seen them, they're fantastic. And Kaim, I did watch a couple more episodes of Thundercats. They were cool. Um, I did watch them, like I said, because there was literally nothing else I could think of to watch, though. And but that, now Steven U- Universe is coming back. Yes, so. <laughs> Steven Universe Suck it, is Kaim. trumping everything. Sorry, Thundercats. And we will be back here with you next week. Caitlin, yeah. welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. God, we missed you. And we'll be back, both be back with you next week on another episode of The Geek Down. See you guys then. This is the tag because we don't know if we have one. We don't know if we were funny on this episode. Do, 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 do. So we sing because that's what we do when we don't no. know what else to do. And we need a tag. <laughs> Was that good? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>